I'm going to start off this morning by telling a story. So once upon a time, there was a king who ruled his kingdom, and he was, he was quite a harsh king and quite a fussy king, and he wanted his kingdom to be perfect. He wanted everything to be perfect, so he just made laws to make sure it was perfect. He, he made laws about what shape your house would be. He made laws about what color you could paint your house. He made laws about what food you, you had to eat. He made laws about how you had to cook the food he made you eat. There was laws about what sort of car you had to own. There was laws about where you could drive your car. And uh, there's just laws for everything. And so the kingdom looked very tidy, but no one was really enjoying living there. And then there came a day when this king you know, died, and, uh, and a new king was, uh, was in place. And the new king, he'd heard the, the mumblings and grumblings of, of the people in the kingdom. And he said, we're going to get rid of all of those rules. We're going to get rid of all the rules. He made a big decree. We're getting rid of all the rules. And everyone's like, yes, we're getting rid of all the rules. And there was a lot of excitement in the kingdom. And uh, the very next day, there was a lot of people were down in the, um, in the main street of this, uh, you know, one of the big cities there. And there's a couple of people in their cars and going, there's no more rules. We can just drive wherever we want. And they were looking around and driving all, you know, one side to the other along the road. And um, guess what happened? They just smashed into each other. Bang! Smashed into each other. And uh, they both got out and they were going like, what are you doing? And the other guy says, what do you mean, what am I doing? What were you doing? He said, well, I was just, uh, I was just driving wherever I wanted to because I can. And the other guy said, yeah, but I was just driving wherever I wanted to because I could. Everyone looking on, they have got this thing figured out. They're going like, okay. So we like not having laws for everything, but, you know, we kind of need a road code. Does that make sense? They're all going, we, we kind of need a road code. And uh, because if you don't, you know, things happen and people get hurt. And the thing is, is if you have a road code, everyone that is driving, they're not less free they're more free because if you were driving you imagine driving and you had no confidence at any point that that the side of the road that you were driving on there wasn't going to be someone coming towards you you would be driving a lot slower you'd be having to concentrate a lot harder you'd be a lot more nervous and a lot more scared you're actually free you're much more free in your driving because there's a road code does that make sense all right so we're all done we can all go home I'm like, what? Hang on. Oh, I didn't know. A bit, of, bit more. So let, I'll tell you what, in about the last 60 years, and it's probably happening a lot more before that, the world has kind of thrown out its moral road code. And people are going like, but hey, we want to be free. We want to be free. We're throwing out the moral road code in the name of freedom. And in particular around you know, sex and sexuality and marriage. And 
you know, and, but the thing is, we're, we're so formed by the relationships in our lives, and, and particularly our sexual relationships, and they can be wholesome and wonderful, or they can be ugly and destructive. And, you know, this, this zeitgeist, the spirit of the age would, would tell us, no, 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 we don't want to have any kind of, you know, rules. Be free with our sexuality. Anyone who says otherwise, they're a prude, or they're an oppressor, or they're unenlightened. And, uh, and yet it seems like people are less and less able to be enjoying life-giving relationships if, once, if they throw away any kind of moral code for, for doing, doing life and doing relationships. And, and freedom without a moral code, it can lead to uh, crashes. It can lead to crashes. It can lead to injury. It can lead to addictions, it can lead to breakups and pain, it can lead to, you know, it can lead to death. And in Christ we are free. We, we sang about that in a couple of those songs. Like in Christ we are free. And as we've been going through this book of Colossians, we've been reading about how in Christ we have, we have this freedom. And yet freedom without this moral code is not so good. We still need like a road code. Does that make sense? So there's this, there is timeless wisdom in the Bible. And going through Colossians, uh, and, it's, and particularly probably last week and this week, there's just this wonderful wisdom on, on how to, it's like a road code for life. And Paul was teaching this to the church in Colossae, and that in Turkey, you know, 2,000 years ago, as they were trying to do life and to, and to do life in faith well. They were getting some things right. They were getting some things wrong. But he's teaching them this. He says, like, you have this new freedom in Christ. And they're going, yay. He says, but, but let me give you some help because, like, freedom still needs some direction and some guidance. You're free, but don't use your freedom in a way where you could end up crashing. So last week, our assistant pastor, Kieran, he, uh, he taught us a whole lot of that stuff. And it was all around that kind of guidance for doing life. And if you missed last week, it's on the website. Grab it uh, and listen to that. And today we're going to finish off the series on uh, Colossians. And can I just encourage you, like grab a hold of this stuff. You know, it's so easy sometimes to come along and just listen and go like, that is so wise. And then just carry on doing life the same way as he's always done it. You know, this is, this is guidance that God has given his people so that life can be the best it can be. And the right things to do. It's the right way to live. It's God's way that leads to life. I'd love to pray, invite God's Spirit here, and then we'll, we'll kick into it. So Holy Spirit, welcome. Come and be amongst us. And we, we are so grateful, Holy Spirit, that you are are in us, you are amongst us, you, are, you give us guidance, you give us wisdom, insight, comfort, encouragement, challenge, healing, hope. We, we invite you to be here. Every person here is in different places and different things that are going on in their lives. And we just pray that you would be here and that you would take something of these words that, and they would land in people's hearts in such a way that they bring life. So come, and I pray too that you would open our hearts, that you would soften our hearts, 
to, so that we would be people that would say yes to your still small voice and that would be a people that would step into all that you have for us. Amen. I forgot to introduce myself when I started. For those that don't know me, my name is Matt and uh, one of the pastors here at Coast. And uh, All right, so we're going to start today at Colossians 3 verse 19 and it's going to go up on the screen there and uh, but I would really encourage you to possibly look up these verses even though they're up there maybe look them up on your phone or if you bring a bible because very nervous that because we put them up on the screen every week you never kind of work out how to actually read the bible for yourself so uh, maybe you can try that All right, there's something for everybody here, all right? Something for everybody. Okay, so listen up. And it's a good one to start with, okay? (laughs) Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents. So I'll just read that again. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, or some translations say parents, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. There's a lot there. And... um, now last week, as I said, uh, Kiran, he finished uh, just before this section. Um, this is Kiran, who's just got engaged to my daughter. And for some reason, he stopped just before this section. What about, uh, let's get in. He's, yeah, everyone's going like, he's a wise guy. He's a smart, he's a smart fella. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Like, let me just say, if you're ever at a party and it's getting boring, you can drop this verse into the conversation. How about that Colossians 3.18, eh? And you just sort of step back and... The other one I do at parties too and they get boring is I say, um, I don't think childbirth is that painful. And then I just step back out of there and I just go, Woo, look at that. I don't actually believe that. It's just a it's just a party trick. So 
Some people say that this word submit is the, is the most hated word by women today. And it's become almost like the, the, the rallying cry of the feminist movement is to rally against this word submit. They hate that it's in, it's in, in the scriptures. And it's because that this scripture here has been used to justify so much stuff that is just outright evil. In, in the household, it's been used to justify subservience of woman in the home and of subservience of woman in society, removal of personal liberty, and, and the inferring of, of female inferiority. You know, men have used it to justify bullying, neglect, just, and I'll tell you what, the church has, in, in places and times, has done that as well. And it's just outright wrong. And the church has too many times wrongly told women that they've just got to stay silent, accept the abuse, not resist their husband's evil you know, ways. And it's just a horrible distortion of the intent of the scripture. And like I know this is one verse of a number that we're looking at today, but this is a big, this is worth talking about. So I'm going to talk a little bit about it and um, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this one. So, so what does submit mean? What does, what does it mean? And, and some translations of this piece of scriptures talks about, it also says be subject to, which is almost feels like even more kind of cringy doesn't it? Like, be subject to. Well, it's from this Greek word, which I'm not going to pronounce because I don't do that. So, but it has a, a different meaning depending on if it's used in a military sense or if it's used in a non-military sense. And in the military sense, it's, it's used for someone to arrange their forces under the guidance of their leader. But outside of this, it means a, a voluntary attitude of cooperation. It's voluntary. Like every, everywhere you look at this, this understanding of this word, it's all, about this, it's all about voluntary is one of the big parts of it. Attitude of, of cooperation, you know, and assuming this sort of a responsibility and obedience thing together. I've got another definition up there. It's, it's to put yourself under or arrange yourself under someone for a good and proper purpose. So, and here's, here's, here's something that you want to take away. This is like a punchline thing to help you with this. Is that Paul the Apostle who wrote this, he also wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians 5, he says this. Again, talking to Christian households. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. So it's not a like a it's not a wives thing. It's an everybody thing. He's he could easily he can equally be saying husbands submit to your wives. It's the sense of putting ourselves under in a place of serving for for good for a good purpose. It's about coming together in all of our relationships and choosing to say like you are of value, you are important. I will serve you. Because that's the heart of love. Like in my role in, as pastor here, that is, that is 
the framework that I come towards what I do here. I come and say, I come to serve you. God has given me some gifts of, of leadership and pastoral uh, care, and I bring those to you to serve you. I submit to you. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives. He's saying, put ourselves under each other and serve each other. And Paul is always talking about how the marriage relationship is a place where there's deep self-sacrificing love. Just deep, deep love. In Ephesians 5.25, as he again is addressing Christian households, he says, Husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. And he, it wasn't just like a, uh, I'm going to spend time doing things for you. He laid down his life. He gave, he, he gave his life for the church. And Paul just says, okay, husbands, that's all we need from you. Just a complete sacrificing of your life because in a way that you would demonstrate love to your husband. Sorry, to your wife. I'm glad that people are listening. <laughs> well, some of you are. I can see the thing with me being up here is that um, I can see when you're sleeping. I, I can see that. You might not think I can see, but I can see. Sacrificial love from husband to wife. And the Bible's got some great help in terms of this road code for how to do relationships. But, but really, it's still only little bits and pieces. You know, it gives us a little bit of help in this area here, some big generalizations here. And we kind of, he doesn't write like five encyclopedias on like how husbands are to relate to their wives. The expectation is, is that like, here's a little bit of help. And quite likely, as he wrote to these different churches, he has heard of some specific situations in those churches. And quite likely, he is addressing some of those things specifically. Uh, but like he doesn't do like five encyclopedias of this is how relationships work. He's saying his expectation is that you'll work it out. You'll, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and just the, the wisdom that God will give you, that he'll, he'll guide you. He'll work, you'll be able to work out these many kind of permutations of what life could throw your way in terms of your, your journey in marriage doesn't say doesn't give instructions about what how to sustain your marriage well if you end up having a child who requires way more care throughout their whole life than you were expecting before you had kids it doesn't talk to you about how to deal with the pressures in a relationship if say the the husband lost his job it doesn't give you guidance as to what would happen if uh, I'll say the husband 
crashes his car into like a Lamborghini and then discovers that the insurance is expired. And like that stuff happens. It doesn't give you guidance of like what how do we do marriage well if if your spouse becomes mentally um, unwell for you know for different reasons. We get some of these broad guidelines, but we mostly have to work it out for ourselves. We do that by we, you know, we get input from wise people. You know, we trust in experts and you know that uh, that can help us. We we pray and we trust that we'll be led by God's spirit. So there's this a big part of this dynamic is that He's expecting us to work this out with a with a heart of love. And then, so Paul, he says this thing, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, 2,000 years ago when this was written, it's, uh, so it's in Turkey, it's in that part of the world, and it very much a patriarchal society, very male-dominated society. And uh, men were the leaders in their communities, they were the income earners. Women were primarily you know, cared for the children and, and looked after the household. And uh, but but were women invisible back then? There's no way. We read we read in the scriptures that women are women are getting involved in all sorts of things all the way through. We read about uh, how when we see Jesus's followers, so many of them were were women in a context of a primarily you know male-dominated society. There's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary and Martha, the sisters of of Lazarus. There's the woman who were at Jesus's crucifixion, woman were the first to discover. They were the first on the scene to discover that the 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 tomb was empty and Jesus had risen again. We see in the journeys of Paul. There's a story of a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And Aquila is a guy's name, and Priscilla is a girl's name. And Priscilla is often mentioned first, like she was kind of the driving force in that team, which is pretty interesting. So again, like, okay, what do we do with this verse? And let me just talk to you about. You can again, you can bring these up at parties if you want to, like, show off. So there's two words that are used a lot when it comes to Bible study. One's a word that's called exegesis, and the word exegesis means uh, understanding what the scripture was saying is, is saying because it's written in a different language and it's in a different time, and so we've got to understand what were they saying. And then there's this other word called hermeneutics, which is it's like the trying to work out, okay, that's what it says. What does it actually mean for me today? Okay, hermeneutics. So, and, and that's what we're trying to do. That's our challenge, isn't it? Like, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for me? And then you look at 2,000 years ago, very, very different culture than it is today. The role that women have in our culture today is dramatically different. So that makes hermeneutics in this situation a challenge. I mean, the world has changed dramatically for women in the last 100 years. In 1921, the world's first birth control clinic opened in London. That's less than 100 years ago. In 1960, uh, the world's... the a um, contraceptive pill made, was made available for sale in the United States for the first time, 1960. It's not that long ago. And so 
having family planning options is one of a number of huge changes that have opened up life in such a different way for women. And, and we're, if you track the, the transition of, of society and, and women's roles in society over that time, it's phenomenal. And, it's, and so many more education options, career options, just life choice options. Wonderful. We still see some of the you know, lingering effects of centuries of male-dominated society, unfortunately, so that women have to, uh, have to battle against. But on the whole, it's just these huge opportunities for women in just so many arenas. It's wonderful. My mother, when she left school, and, and they were, she wanted to work out what she was going to do for a job, three options. Nurse, teacher, secretary. Three options. How's that, how's that feel, ladies? Yeah, not good. That's my mum. It's not that long ago. So times have changed and they continue to change. So we, we have to walk this tightrope of of what does the scripture say? What, is it, what did it mean for them? How do we interpret this today? And uh, it's like a tightrope. It's not easy. And you'll find intelligent people all around the world coming up with very different conclusions around what the scripture would say. And, uh, and you are going to have to work out what this means for you blending that sense of like this is the heart of what it was intended for then this is our culture today and yet we want to be the people that step into the words of our scriptures and so I would just here's what I would say a little bit general a little bit kind of a little bit getting a little bit into it I would say we submit to each other. That's kind of a punch. There's a couple of punchline things here. I would say we submit to each other in all of our relationships. Is that there's a sense of like wanting the best for one another and saying, my role here is to serve you, my, my, my spouse, my partner. But there's this other wonderful little tag that, um, that Paul added on to that verse where he said, wives, submit to your husbands. And he says, as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. And that's the bit that says that we've all got to take and we've got to go, in our situation, what is fitting in the Lord? It's almost like, what, what would God want for us in this, in this key relationship? So we pray and we ask for wisdom and insight. And then as a, as a married couple, we work out what we believe God would have us do with it. And that would be my encouragement to you in this, in this scripture. The Message Bible says this. It's, uh, it says, Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. And I know too that there's this big question these days about like, but what about all that scripture where it talks about how the husband is the head of the home and, and, 
And uh, guess what? It's not in Colossians, so we're not going to do that today. But we'll do it. We'll do it another day. So we submit to each other, and we work out these key things as best we can, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. And again, I just wonder if Paul. So much of the book of Colossians was. He's talking to real people in a real church that they were, and he'd heard people had visited the church and they'd come and seen him and he was hearing things. So quite likely there is, he's responding to some specific things he's heard from that church. And it may be that, you know, he started off, he's been hearing about some of the families and he's hearing like, like the wives are just, you know, kind of getting out and doing their own thing and possibly causing a little bit of uh, embarrassment or... Uh, that sort of thing to the to the husband and then the husband's you know he's getting cross and he's just like don't do that you know like you're a terrible wife well you know like like why would you do all these bad things and then she's going like if you're going to talk to me i'm going out with the girls tonight and we're going to party up and then his friends see the the girls out partying and he's going man that guy's wife's wild and and he yells at her again and it's like it, that may be what it is it may just be this like Guys, guys, come on, wives, submit to your husbands. Like, husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. He's just trying to break, it may just be, he's just trying to break a cycle that will spiral relationships, you know, down towards breakup. And Paul's saying what he always says, it's just, it's love. Just don't forget love. It's love. Because of God's love for us, let's be people that love. Love as Christ loved the church. Love is wanting the best for another person and then taking action to make it to make it happen. So husbands, let's do that. And if you're anything like me, I sort of read this, I'm going like sort of probably about a I'm probably doing about a seven maybe out of ten. I could I, I could probably do I need to step it up. Maybe I should get into about an eight. So whatever you score yourself, husbands. Why don't you aim for the next number up out of 10? How's that sound? Children. Children. We've lost, they've all gone. <laughs> Should we get them all back in just for this one little bit? <laughs> Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. And you can see how quickly we need some discernment and just to what kind of work these things out for ourselves. Like, children, obey your parents in everything. That's what it says. Like at our, when we were pastoring the church out in West Auckland, there was a guy that came along to church, and he'd had a bit of a rough background. He used to do bank robberies with his dad. So, like, children, obey your parents and everything. I, well, not, not, not everything, everything. So, you know, if there's any of you young people here, like if your dad wants you to drive the getaway car, it's like, you don't have to do it. It's like there's, it's like you've got to, this discernment's got to kick in with these things. Children, yes, obey your parents. Like, well, how old is it before I'm not a child? I don't know. Probably when your parents say you're not, not when you think you are.
Because if you want to please God, this is what it says here. It says, children who obey their parents, it pleases the Lord. So if you're just young, if you're young and, and in the faith, and you're wanting to live a life that pleases God, this is one of the things that pleases God. Being, a, being someone that obeys your parents. And remember the road code? It's like if you don't have this road code, you crash. This is one of those things. It's, good, it's a good road code rule. It can save you from a crash. Parents. It says, so it says fathers, and again, some translation says parents, do not embitter your children or they will be discouraged. Like, I read about, about 50 different Bible translations on this verse. Seriously, I read about 50 of them. And, there, and there's some other words that are used, and I think I've thrown them up in there because this may be quite helpful because you get this whole sort of picture. Other words, instead of in, do not embitter your children, they said, so it says do not embitter or exasperate, provoke them to anger, provoke to indignation, irritate, harass, make them resentful, scold too much, come down too hard, nag, overcorrect, infuriate. It's like, parents, don't do this stuff. Because if you do, it leads to this. And again, some of the words were, you know, discouraged, disheartened, they quit trying, it breaks their spirit, they lose heart, they grow up feeling inferior and frustrated. These are just different translations of the, the Greek that people have used these words to, to take that into context. And uh, it's just cause and effect. It's like, parents, if you do this, you'll get this. So, so, so just, you know, be careful. And like, here's some, here's a little bit of pastoral advice from a dad, me, who's got three girls and 23, 21, and 16, and uh, who I absolutely love hanging out with, and they seem to like hanging out with me, so which is either true or they're just good actors. Um, but uh, but we get on, and like I just wrote his three things that I would be encouraging myself and others to do, and one is is to is you've got to learn to back away when you see them starting to get down. When you see them starting to get discouraged because of your kind of like you're not doing this well, is just you've just got to learn to back down and switch into encouragement mode, so that you don't get the disheartened, the breaking of the spirits. And I know that can be hard, but that's it's you've got to learn to do that. And the second thing is that if you if you go a bit too far before you realise what's happening, then apologise. And um, that could be hard. And the third thing is, I'd just say, like, you've got to learn to read your child in this thing because all your kids are different. And our, one of our kids, I won't say which one, um, one of our kids, I could push them to do something that I knew if they did it, they would, they would feel good about themselves, but they really didn't want to. I knew I could push them to do it until they did it. And then they were like, no, I really don't want to do this. I, really don't. I said, no, you're going to do it. And then they did it, and they were like, yeah. You know? And it was like this sense of like achievement, and, and uh, they felt so good about themselves. One of my other kids is that um, if they got a sniff that I was pushing them towards something, 
they were just like, I will not be pushed. And so it just was complete folly to even try. And so I just, and yet, so I just to encourage you parents is to learn to read. And if you're not quite sure about it, then get someone else to come over and, and just like, you know, maybe observe and, give, you know, give their thoughts on it. It's not one rule that fits all. All right, here we go. Slaves. I just have to say to you, I haven't got any slaves. Okay, so um, although my youngest daughter is the only one of our daughters at home at the moment, she might say something different, but, uh, but I don't think I have any slaves. And I don't think you have any slaves. But if you do, just we should talk, okay? If you've got slaves, we need to talk because there's things that we need to sort out. Um, but if a slave is someone that has to do what a master asks them to do when they ask them to do it, I've often thought, is this, like, can we apply this to any other situation like in our culture and our time and our place? I'm thinking like it's not a complete fit, but it's a little bit like employment. Isn't it? It's a little bit like employment. It's like if you work for someone, they're your boss and they, they kind of tell you what, what to do and, uh, and they'll pay you for the privilege, but they, they tell you what to do. And as an employee, you've, you've kind of got to do what the boss says and, and an employer directs his employees. And, and, um, so let's, why don't we read this next bit through that lens? Because like most people here either are or have been or will be either an employee or an employer, okay? So let's read it through that lens. I think it's helpful. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. It's just like, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And it's saying there's, you reap an eternal reward. When you read it from that employee situation, it's going like, oh, okay, so don't just work hard when my boss is watching me. I work hard because I'm working for the Lord. And I'm sure that the business owners and the managers are going like, yeah, what a great scripture. Yeah. need to put that on the wall of my office. Um, maybe. Maybe not actually on the wall of the office. <laughs> but then this is for the bosses. Listen to this. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So, so hey, you know, business owners and managers, your workers deserve a pay rise? Because is that right and fair? Do your workers need deserve some time in lieu because they were you've gotten to work some long hours you know is that right and fair do they need to get some mileage reimbursements because you've been getting them running around town is that right and fair so we need to keep this in front of you if you have the ability to 
if you have the authority to look after your employees, do what is right and fair. It's this little bit where it talks about prayer, and I'll get to that if we've got time at the end, but then just in terms of this whole thing of just relating to others, Paul goes on and talks about this last group we relate to, and it's the outsiders. He says it's that, you know, those who don't have faith, those who don't believe, who are not followers of Jesus. He says this, he said, be, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's like make the most of every opportunity. The thing that you can't get away from with this is that it takes intent. And you've actually got to be intentional to do that. Which And it also means we just can't be focused on ourselves all day long which is kind of the way I normally live. Well, you know, can't have days like that. You know, I'm just sort of like busy. I've got things to do. I've got to get going. It's like, no, take your eyes off yourself, man. You think, yeah, but well, what could I do? I said, well, here's something you could do just to start off. Like, you could smile at people. You can help someone that's struggling with their groceries or struggling to change a tire. You could say hi to your, your neighbor when you're out in the backyard. Let me tell you a neighbor, a neighbor story. We moved into our house nine years ago, and we met our neighbors on that side and on that side and behind us and over the road. And, and, uh, and we, you know, we did that just over the time. We would we, we chat when we saw them over the, over the fence when we were working in the backyard. And, and on one side, we've got some you know, wonderful neighbors and met them, and they, they had you know, a couple of couple of kids and when we first moved in one of them was a, a you know a, a shy young man hard-working young man and uh, and when he got to high school age we invited him along to uh, to our youth group at our church and he's, he said yeah I'll come along and, and he started coming along regularly and then he um, he came along to Easter camp with all of our young people and had an incredible encounter with God and just like just put a absolute fire in his belly for following God and um, guess who? That's Albert, our intern. Albert, up the back there. You know, and and um, I'll tell you, I couldn't be more proud of what you know what he's doing in life now. It's just he's just his his growing and his following of Jesus and his growing and serving God and and loving people and it's just wonderful. So, but it's just this whole thing about making the most of every opportunity. It's just. Um, just again just taking your eyes off yourself and just seeing what happens and then it says then it says let your conversation be full of grace seasoned with salt so you can answer everyone and i know it sounds like i've got to be able to like answer everyone like to give them great explanations about my faith and and uh and most of us feel a bit like freaked out with that and but focus more on this grace and salt bit and having like there's a guy called Dale Carnegie, you may have heard of. He wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Wonderful book. It's about 100 years old now. And a Christian, Christian guy. And there's this one chapter he writes on having great conversations. And he says, the way to have great conversations is to talk to people about the thing that they're most interested in. And guess what people are most interested in? Themselves. That's their favorite topic of conversation. 
So there's a there's a good start. If you want a, if you want a conversations full of grace, talk about the person you're talking to. And in the midst of that, there'll be opportunities just to drop some salt in. And so, let's just think of salt as dropping some helpful things into the conversation, something helpful into the conversation. And you know what? They'll probably listen because you haven't just been talking about yourself the whole time. Message Bible, when that verse says this, the goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. This was a lot of Colossians to try and get through. I'm going to... Jacinda's saying, don't do it. So what shall I do? <laughs> Let's all stand together, shall we? <laughs> This, this wee letter to the church, such an incredible encouragement to us. And I, it's been a funny message this morning, isn't it? Because there's so many little bits and pieces that are just helpful in their own right, and, but they're kind of connected and kind of their own thing. But hopefully, as I prayed this morning, that you'll be able to take something so that this week is not just the same as last week. You can take something and go like, that's worth grabbing a hold of and stepping into this week there's something for all of us here. It's like, a, it's like this road code that's helpful. So when you get to intersections, everyone knows the right way to turn so no one's going to bang into each other. <laughs>